I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 1 this morning. I want to visit a passage we preached from September of last year regarding Joseph. And then next week we want to visit another passage that we have visited before, before getting right back on course with our look at the life of Christ. The Lord came into this world. He stood before Pilate and said, for this purpose came I into the world. He came to die. And we're grateful that he did. I'm grateful for the great sacrifice of Calvary. His incarnation, he came into this world robed in flesh. We call it the hypostatic union, 100% God, yet 100% man existing simultaneously, the two natures of Christ in one person. He is the great unlike in, in all three worlds, right? In heaven, earth, and in hell. He is the great unlike. No one else like him. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and we praise him for it. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we're grateful for that. Thank you, Denise, for reminding us of that this morning in song. Matthew chapter number 1. By the way, it's good to have these preachers in the service. Brother Tackett, good to see you. I didn't get to you during the fellowship song back there in the back. I was going to try to, and uh, there were some folk right there around you when I came by. And then, of course, Brother Hunter sitting here on the front row. And uh, I told him Wednesday night, if he keeps showing up, we'll just claim him. And uh, Brother Tommy, I'll give you fair warning. You keep showing up around here, and this bunch claim you too, brother. And uh, our other preachers are out preaching. Of course, Brother Dustin, still in his cancer battle, unable to be here. And, uh, but we appreciate so much these preachers. Let's stand together. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'm sure this will come out a bit different than before, but I am interested in Joseph, who played a vital role in the life of Christ, used of God. He impresses me uh, as I read about uh, him in the New Testament, read of him. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. Now that's where Brother Johnny started us this morning. As a matter of fact, I couldn't help but think of John 1, verse number 14. As he read through that verse, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm grateful for that this morning. God with us. Verse number 24 and 25, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and you heard not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, a yielded life. 
for Christ. Brother Tackett, Brother Tommy, would you lead us in prayer, please, at this time? Amen. Thank you for standing. Thank you, Brother Tommy. Joseph, I told you last year when we started looking at the life of Christ that early on that I wanted to look at the life of Joseph. There'd be a lot of preaching of Christ's birth in these days, and there should be. Uh, we're mindful. Um, we're mindful of Christ's virgin birth. It's one of our cardinal doctrines. It's one of the essentials of the faith that we believe, that he was virgin born into this world. There'd be a lot of preaching, no doubt, about Mary and the role that she played in the birth of Christ and the life of Christ, and there should be. This is an opportunity this time of the year to be mindful uh, of the role that God called on her to play. But then also Joseph, uh, I'm convinced he was a remarkable man. We know he wasn't a rich man, was he? We know that whenever it was time for Mary to go to the temple and Christ to be presented at the age of eight days. And then at 40 days, the offering that was presented was the offering of a pauper, really, a poor person that was presented. It was what could barely be afforded. But he was rich in character. Had he not been rich in character, God would not have chosen him. Uh, it's been men like this that have uh, really, to me, have been known as this man would, if you'd have met him, you would have probably been convinced because of who he was and what he was that he was a prince among men. He's an overlooked player in the life of Christ. He's nobody's hero, is he? You don't ever hear anybody stand up and say, my favorite Bible character is Joseph, who is considered to be the adoptive father or the foster father. We know that he was not the biological father of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God overshadowed the womb of Mary, and she conceived. And then we'd give birth to Christ. There was a miracle in the conception. There's a miracle in the birth of Christ. Um, here in this passage, uh, no doubt Mary has spoken with Joseph and told her that she is with child, and it must have stunned him. It really must have shocked him to hear these words. He knows of her character and her integrity. He knows of her love for God, and he probably would ask, how can this be? And she would convince him or try to convince him, I've not been with a man, and he knows he's not been dishonorable with her. And she would try to convince him that uh, Gabriel has spoken to me. Now, Gabriel's not the angel that speaks to uh, Joseph, or at least if he is, we're not given his name. But um, it probably sounded a bit far-fetched. She would try to convince him, I've not committed fornication, I've not committed adultery. Joseph, I have no desire for any other man, never will, but you. But he's taken aback by it all. Here in this passage, the angel of the Lord will convince him that the child that Mary is carrying is the Messiah. Joseph is willing to play his part. He's willing to walk on. He's willing to be used of God in a much overlooked role, uh, but a vital role in this story of Christ. When you, meet, uh, when you first meet Joseph in Scripture, he's a young man. He's a young man of character and integrity. He would have known what it was to lay um, stone foundations. If there had been a foundation for a home, most homes had dirt floors. But those who would gather up stones would lay that stone in the ground. And 
and then they would take straw and mud and and, uh, and construct walls for their homes and beams and slats on the top for, uh, for the roofs. He, he knew what it was to build all of that. Joseph was a carpenter by trade. He knew what it was to labor at his, at his workbench. His tools were simple, primitive tools. They would have been knives he would have used. They would have been saws he would have used and adds. You've seen those before and a hammer. And Joseph would know what it was to work long hours for the public. He would trade off commodities for his labor. And, and sometimes he would trade off for monies or whatever could be afforded by those that would summon his, his abilities. And would hire him maybe to produce yokes for their oxen or other beasts of burden. Uh, doors, he would build doors for houses and handles for plows and tables and chairs. And maybe there would be other things that he would be secured for. It would fall his lot as a Jewish man would, as would with a Jewish man, to teach the Lord Jesus and the other boys that would be born into his home and his family. He would teach this trade, this craft to, to others. I've often thought about Joseph, and you've heard me say this before, if he had a song that he would sing, if he visited charity. Next Sunday, I think I know the old hymn he sings, don't you? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, truly knowing thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation, glory, glory to his name. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. I can remember struggling with that surrendering many years ago in my own life. I'd wake, and I'll touch on this before we leave this morning, before we leave the message. But I can remember struggling with the will of God. I felt as though I knew it for my life. God had made it plain. He does not speak in question marks, does he? Always speaks where we can understand him. The Bible says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I used to tell my old preacher, I used to say, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I'd do it. He knew the whole time that God talked where I could understand him. I just wasn't ready to bow to the will of God for my life. Did you wake this morning seeking God's will for your life? It is uh, so with, with Joseph. He's a man. After this passage, he surrendered. I'm convinced he's yielded to the will of God for his life, but he's received this news about Mary being with child. And wonders how can it be, her story, how in the world can it be? A man surrendered to Christ is who he is. From this passage on, he will give everything for the cause of Christ. Joseph is a servant of Christ. Yea, he's a servant for God. He's willing to go, he's willing to be, and willing to do whatever God would have of him. He does not have to impress the local powers that be. It's very liberating, you know, just to... Live your life pleasing to God. Enjoy the kindnesses of God, the tender mercies of God, and His loving compassions. To be able to live in the will of God, which is the safest place in the world, the most peaceful place in the world for someone to be. This morning, we went around the prayer room, went around the table with prayer requests, as we always do after the Scripture reading. And then whenever we come back around the table, we very briefly ask for something to be thankful for. 
Two of our men spoke up and was thankful for the peace of God. One of them, a young man, started it. He started it, the peace of God. I tell you, to live in the peace of God, knowing you are where God would have you to be in life. What a joy that is to lay down and pillow your head at night. To have a peaceful mind, a peaceful spirit, a peaceful conscience about you, knowing that you are where and what God has called you to be. Here Joseph is. He has no need to be anything other than what God has called him to. doesn't matter if down the way, if there's a neighbor who doesn't understand God's will for his life. It doesn't matter if maybe if they would have even been family. Joseph is yet and still surrendered to the will of God for his life. He's willing to serve. He's willing to walk on. You know his story. There'll be a lot of shame, won't there? He'll have to walk through it. There'll be a lot of embarrassment and humiliation um, of it all. And yet his life is a life of surrender. His life is a life given to Jesus Christ. There'll be mountains and there'll be valleys. There'll be peaks and low places. There'll be sunshine. There'll be rain. There'll be joy and there'll be pain. And yet Joseph walks on through every bit of it uh, that he has to face. God, our creator that we read about right in the very outset of our Bible, in the beginning God, that God chose Mary to play, play her part. And that same God chose Joseph to play his part as well. Uh, may we be of the same mindset to seek God's will and be sensitive to it. Here a couple of Wednesday evenings ago, still somewhat introductory to the book of First Timothy, we spoke of the will of God and how Paul wrote of it. Paul spoke of it even in the moments of salvation. You remember that? Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6, you remember what the Bible says. And he, that is Saul of Tarsus, who had his own mindset, he thought he was doing God a favor, persecuting the early church. You remember that? He'll even write about his salvation and his call in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll note that here in a week or so in our Wednesday evening Bible study. But you remember right after he's saved, in those moments, first moments, uh, of being saved, the Bible says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What do you want from me? What do you have for my life? No doubt God's been dealing with him for some time. And now he's saved on the road to Damascus, knocked down from his high horse, literally. The glory of the Lord outshone the noonday sun. He knew who it was that was dealing with his heart. And he bowed and surrendered his life to him in those moments. And then he asked him, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You remember how he used to go on over to a street called Straight, and Ananias would come lay hands on him. And that blindness that had struck him will be lifted from him. Scales would fall, as it were, from his eyes. Paul, writing of the will of God to the Romans, wrote in Romans 12, in verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you know that God has a will? Uh, a will for everybody's life that's here today? Do you know that God gifts in the moment of salvation the Spirit of God? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe it's about verse 7, that He divideth to every man severally as He will. That is, speaking of the spiritual gifts, if you're saved by the grace of God, you possess a spiritual gift and God places you in a local assembly, a local body, and just assures your hand and your fingers, your feet and your toes, your legs, your arms, ears and eyes. And Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians and in Romans chapter number 12 and in Ephesians chapter number 4. Just assures the many members of your body function as one unit, functions as one unit. 
So it is with the local assembly. Nobody any more important than anybody else around here. Don't have any big shots. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I'll say something about one of you and say, well, he's a good man or she's a good woman. But now you won't take offense to this if I get real biblical right here, will you? You've never looked at me and really seen a good man. I've looked at hundreds of congregations over 31 years of preaching and really, I've never looked into the, into the countenance of a good person. You know what I'm talking about there. But Christ, uh, where we are lacking, Christ uh, has provided righteousness. When we go to heaven, we won't go to heaven because of anything we accomplished. And there are a lot of you accomplishing a lot around this church. And uh, in, in the place that you function, that you're stationed in life. But you know, really, we stand and we do what we do because of Christ. Every bit of it's because of Christ. I can't do what Donald Talent does, but he can't do what God's called me to do. I can't do what Hunter House does, nor can I do what Tommy Tackett does. I can't go up and preach in Brother Ronnie's stead with his burden this morning. I don't have his burden. I have the burden that God has given me. Because you're not a preacher, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a will for your life. He's gifted you and he's placed you in this local assembly in order to help meet a need and minister to others who gather here with you from time to time. Writing of the will of God to the church at Ephesus, Paul would write in Ephesians 5, 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think it's a happy day for the child of God, the day of salvation. And then I think it's a happy day for the child of God when you realize why God has let you breathe his air and left you here. I remember it was a lot of years ago. As a matter of fact, I can count it up right quick, 15 years ago, as a um, in, in, a, in a very difficult time of our lives, I remember looking at Amanda and I said, in scripture reading, God stamped something in my heart and made it to live. And I believe I know why God has let me live thus far. I'd been through a battle with cancer. We felt like we'd been drugged sideways through hell um, for nearly two years. And she's, she and I talked and then I took her to one of the Psalms and read some verses that still live. I've never shared that with anybody except for her, but... They still live in my life. Sometimes a name it and claim it crowd to tell you or just put your finger on a verse and, and just claim it and stand bold and tall. A lot of those people walk away disappointed oftentimes with that. I tell you where you ought to stand and claim it's when God makes it live in your life. It becomes a part of your being and a part of who you are. God lets you live and breathe those verses and live and breathe in that atmosphere of Scripture that he has revealed to us. To the Colossians, Paul would write about the will of God. Colossians 1 and verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul was a man that was sensitive, sensitive to the Spirit of God's working and bidding in his life. You remember there were a couple of occasions in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 8, where he desired to go preach the gospel in a couple of different places. He was set out to go in that direction, but the Bible says... The Spirit suffered him not, and then the Spirit bade him not, but sent him off in different directions. It wasn't because the gospel wasn't right, because it is right. It's only means by which someone can be saved. That Christ, that a man believe on Christ uh, for his Savior, and as his Savior, accepts the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man's saved, he's birthed through the womb of Calvary. He can't come through church membership or good works or good intentions, can he? He has to come through the shed blood of the darling Son of God. But, uh, but nevertheless, Paul was, uh, Paul was under divine orders, and uh, so it is with Joseph. 
Uh, Paul did what he did because of the will of God. He went where he went because of the will of God. Said what he said and wrote what he wrote because of the will of God. I think Joseph is made of that kind of stuff. Just as sure as I just referred to in Acts 16, where Paul said that where, where the Spirit of God said, No, Paul, you can't go there and preach the Word of God. I'm not ready for you to go there just yet. He would go, but timing is the timing's just not right. So it is with Joseph. He's willing to back up and throw his plans away and sit back down at the drawing table and listen to God and let God map it all out for him. Isn't that amazing? Here Joseph is. He's a man who's yielded his life for the cause of Christ. I want you to consider with me four different areas, and I'll be brief with all four. Consider with me how that Joseph yielded his pride concerning public perception. You've heard me say that I've said to younger preachers for a long time now. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was preaching for Brother Reese Ward here about three months back, he got up and told the church, he said, I remember the first time I owned Brother Kevin, the first days after I'd owned him as my personal pastor, I was talking to him about a challenge in the church, and he said to me, welcome, welcome to the ministry, Reese. Now, I tell you, it's just that away, right? You have to swallow your pride. You have to be willing to walk on. You have to be willing to uh, allow Christ to increase, and sometimes that takes time, and you be willing to decrease. Joseph will yield his pride. Watch verse 18. Concerning public perception, he'll have to yield his pride. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was a spouse, that is, she's engaged. She's a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, that is, before they would consummate their marriage, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, that last phrase completes it for those of us who are followers of Christ. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. But as far as public perception would go, all they would see is that she was found to be with child. And so there would be pride. He would have to yield his pride. There'll be talk and rumors. There'll be accusations against Mary, even against Joseph. They will become the off-scouring of their own community everywhere they'd go. Joseph is willing to accept it and to walk on. You don't ever find Joseph giving an explanation in Scripture for who Mary is or what they're living or where God has called them to. You never find him giving an explanation. All he does is walk on in the will of God for his life. May God help us all to do the same. Now, the Bible says here, as I pointed out, that the Bible says when, as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, you know that this espousal period, there were three stages, excuse me, three stages to the Jewish wedding process. There was what, was, uh, uh, what we would call the espousal or the engagement. This usually would be carried, on, uh, carried out by the parents. Don't you wish we'd go back to some of that? Somebody say amen. And usually the, the father of, of the groom would would approach the father of the bride, and they'd begin to, to work on the arrangements of setting up the marriage. And then there would be a ceremony. It would be a betrothal ceremony where it would just be a brief ceremony that would take place. The groom-to-be would bring a dowry. Uh, it was called the bride price. It may have been money. Did Brian Jenkins make you bring a piece of money, Austin, when you came and asked for McKinley's hand? Uh, sometimes it would have been cattle or livestock or clothing or a combination of any of these. And that would be paid during the time, this betrothal period, during this espousal period at the beginning of it. And uh, what the dowry would do is it would help to offset and, uh, offset and compensate for the wedding expenses that, uh, that would be incurred. 
the betrothal or the spousal period, the engagement period, we'd call it here in our society, usually lasted a year in the Jewish economy. During that year, they did not live together. They were considered to be legally married. As a matter of fact, legally, the only thing, two things that could separate the couple was either divorce or death. Now, during this year, what the bride would do is they lived apart, continued to live apart. She would gather items to help make her a nest, help make her home. And what the groom would do is he would, uh, uh, he would prepare a dwelling place for the couple uh, to unite and uh, where they could live after, um, after the wedding feast. Uh, this reminds me, of course, of the price that Christ has paid on the cross of Calvary when he gave his life's blood for all of us who have come to him and those who may yet come to him. Someone has said concerning the price that Jesus paid that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that he could extend to us the cup of God's fellowship. What a beautiful thing he has done for us in taking the judgment of God and the wrath of God. Concerning the judgment, wrath, and condemnation, somebody else speaking along this line stated, He drank it all, he endured all, he suffered all, so that now forever there are no flames of hell for them, no racks of torment for those who are saved. Someone else has stated, There was a giant cup of God's wrath with enough in it for all his people. And Christ drank it all. There's not one drop left. He satisfied the justice of God. You've often heard people say, well, I should have died on the cross of Calvary. It should have been me. Wouldn't have made any difference if it had been you. Wouldn't have made any difference if it had been me. It just been a sinner dying upon a cross, dying a horrible death. It had been the same for you if, if you had have done that. But you see, the Lord Jesus had no sin He knew no sin. He was the righteous dying for the unrighteous. Now he's gone to prepare a place, a dwelling place for us all, those of us who are going to be saved. You remember what he said to his disciples? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, he paid the price at Calvary, at the place of the skull. He paid the price on the cross of Calvary. And uh, when they were come to Calvary, Luke wrote, there they crucified him, the place of the skull. We've been there. Holly and Celia Beth have been there. Of course, erosion has taken place in the side of that that, that little side of the mount, that little hillside. Uh, But you can tell at one time, I mean, it looked like a skull there in the side of that rock on the roadside there that day as Jesus was crucified there in front of the place of the skull. If you've been saved, you've been sealed with the Spirit of God into the day of redemption. You've been given the earnest of the Holy Spirit. That's the handshake of heaven. Some of you work in real estate. You know what earnest money means. It's a pledge. It's a down payment of sorts. It's a pledge that I'm going to follow through with my part of the transaction When you were saved, you were given the earnest of the Holy Spirit. You were given the pledge of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That the transaction one day will be complete. When we roll your body in here for the last time that you come to church, you will have already made your way into the presence of God. It's because of the earnest of the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He is the handshake of God, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you and deals with your heart. He is the pledge Well, if you went to hell, you'd take him with you, and it wouldn't be hell anymore, would it? As a matter of fact, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnaces of Babylon. Uh, 
Uh, they felt no, no heat from the flames. There was not a hair on their head singed. And even a lost man looked in and did his arithmetic. He said, now we put three in there, but he said, unto God there's four. And he said, that, he said there's one that walking around in the flame likened unto the Son of God, likened unto the Son of Man. It was the Lord Jesus himself. I wonder if Jesus told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew young men, I wonder if he told them, Whenever they walked in, it's fine. You're in the will of God. You're fine. I was here before you got here. I'll be in the fire when you leave. You tell anybody else that has to go through the fire that if they're in the will of God, they're safer in here with me in the fire than they are out there in the world. Now, I tell you, aren't you glad that God takes care of his youngins? He gives us grace sufficient for whatever trial we may have to meet with in life. The wedding feast would end that year-long engagement. I ask you this, in September of last year, it's been, what, 15 months now or so? Why does this particular passage play out like it does? Why does the angel of the Lord speak to Joseph in a dream in the night? Why didn't he make an announcement to the world about Mary and about Jesus and about a virgin giving birth to the Lord Jesus? Or Why didn't he at least, in the region, make an announcement and light up the night sky? Why wasn't it at least to the little city the little town, if you will, occupied by soldiers, the little town of Nazareth. Why didn't he announce it to all the inhabitants of Nazareth? Why just to Joseph? Why did Gabriel just speak to Mary? Why not to the whole world? I'm convinced it's because he knew that, that Joseph and Mary, he knew that they would have to face many hardships because of the uh, cause of Christ going forward. God's going to take all of this that they'll have to endure. God will build grace into their lives. God will put his peace into their hearts. God will stretch them and God will make them. And as a matter of fact, I'm convinced, I've been convinced now for a long time, whatever God's called you to, he will school you through it. He will prepare you for it. God always does that. God always schools his children for whatever may lie before them. And you see, Joseph's got to swallow his pride. He's got to yield his pride. As far as public perception, he's got to go on no matter what they think. No matter what they say, you know, this young man sitting on the front up here in order to do what God's called him to do, there'll be those that will misunderstand him, and he'll have to walk on. Brother Tommy could talk to you about that. Uh, we preachers live a life of that most of the time. And, um, and just, you just have to go on and serve God and let God sort it all out and pray for the grace of God to be in abundance of, upon your life Joseph yielded his pride concerning public perception. Verse 19, he would yield his plans for the cause of Christ. You know what he could have done is in his mind. Mary has told him she's with child. He's made his mind up to go to the elders of the city. They would have been seated in the gate. He could plead his case. After all, she is pregnant. He could plead his case before the elders and get a bill of divorcement. He could go about it a couple of different ways. He could put her to public shame, even so much so He could have laid claim to the law of Moses. He could have had her stoned if they would have granted it to be so. Of course, he would have had to throw the first stone, and he was not willing to do that. He could either do that or he could put her away privately. In other words, uh, not cause her any further shame. He chooses to do the second, to put her away privately or privately or privily, if you pronounce it that way. The Bible says here in verse number 19, he's a just man. He was repulsed. Again, he's shocked by the news and the supposed sin of Mary. Being a just man, he thought, all I can do is get a divorce now and go on with my life as best I can. 
Now, Joseph didn't believe Mary prior to this night, but he did love her. He did care for her. He didn't want to cause her any further harm. And he could have gone to great lengths to vindicate himself, but yet he's chosen to put her away privately. He's going to have to, he's going to, have to yield his plans. He's got to yield his pride concerning serving God. Notice with me also, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll have to yield his personal privacy for the cause of Christ. Read back with me, verses 20 through 23. The Bible says, But while he thought on these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is uh, God with us. What he's saying is, Joseph, she's telling you right, Joseph. Mary is with child. This is the promised Messiah, Joseph. And he'll be willing to yield himself, though there will, though there will uh, be times where his life will uh, have a bit of privacy. For the most part, it's going to be lived out uh, on, the, uh, on the stage of the community and the region and the area. But the angel is telling Joseph, uh, she's telling the truth, Joseph, take her to wife. And doing so, your life is going to be under public scrutiny. I'm sure as he woke from this uh, span in the night after the angel has appeared to him, I'm sure he thought of the words of the old prophet, the old gifted prophet, the Paul of the Old Testament concerning the prophets, no doubt, is Isaiah. He's uh, so multi-gifted, is he not? You remember the words that will be preached on next Sunday in a lot of churches around the world. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I wonder if he said to himself, could it be? Is this really, is this reality now? This is what God has called Mary to, and this is what God has called me to. He'll have to yield his personal privacy now for the cause of Christ. Though there'll be rumors and there'll be accusations, Mary will be mistreated. So will Joseph, and so will the Christ child. And yet, uh, it is as though the angel is saying, Joseph, Mary needs you. And Joseph, God is going to use you. Joseph's life was to be a simple life, a quiet life, as Jewish men knew it. But going forward, it'll be anything but that, won't it? Now, thankfully, Joseph was privy to a number of things that you and I only read about. He could talk to us about whenever he and Mary, they were just kids, if you will. That's what we say about our kids, isn't it? Though they're grown, they're adults on their own now. We still call them kids, don't we? They were, they were just literally, they were kids according to our standard. When Joseph would take Mary, she being great with child, would take her to Bethlehem because of the taxing that was ordered in those days. He was just a very young man when he would help to deliver the Lord Jesus as Mary would give birth in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn. Shepherds would come after abiding in their uh, uh, tending to their flocks by night, shepherds would come, and they would worship Christ, the Christ at babe right there. Joseph could speak of that. Angels poured into the night sky and offered their songs of praise unto the Lord of glory. He was born there in that stable. It would be many months later, the Magi that Brother Johnny spoke of this morning in the open assembly, the Magi, it probably wasn't three kings, was it? It probably was a whole caravan. They brought their expensive gifts of gold. 
There would have been those that would have helped guarded the whole lot of the gifts that they brought, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, which speaks of the three offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And they would bring those. God knew exactly what they would need that for. They have no money. They are but paupers, if you will. Simple people as far as society is concerned. But they're going to go spend some time in Egypt. It'll take money in order to sustain them. And God gave them that much after Christ was born. The Magi's, they come and brought that. And then they left and avoided Herod as they departed. And as, uh, as they departed, of course, an angel of the Lord warned, uh, warned Joseph and he would have to flee into Egypt. Four times God would give to Joseph a revelation concerning Jesus and Mary and what to do regarding them in order to spare their lives. Three times in three years he'll move and relocate his family all for the cause of Christ. In order to remain in the will of God for, uh, for his life, Joseph had to bid farewell uh, to what would be considered a normal life. But this is God's will for Joseph's life. Did you know you can't get any more in God's will than God's will for your life? Whatever that is, whatever God has gifted you for, wherever God has stationed you and placed you in life, you can't get any more in God's will than to be right where God has placed you and gifted you. Don't ask you something. If God asks you to sacrifice something today, would you do that? I remember trying to ready your hearts in a gentle way for a missions conference and missions giving. I remember those days. I remember asking you, there's several of you who are hunters. I'm a hunter. And um, I'm not a hunter house or a hunter Williamson, but I'm, I'm a hunter Merritt. Can you say amen? But I remember, I remember asking the question. I mean, there were several hunters sitting around in that service. It was a Wednesday service to be exact. And I asked, just what if? What if God put it on your heart, sell your favorite hunting rifle, and give that piece of money to a needy missionary somewhere and help him get to the field? Would you do that? And I really think I was met with a bit of resistance from someone, and uh, that person's not sitting here today. I wouldn't say that if they were. Uh, I wonder if, if God asked something of you. I wonder if that would be met with a scowl. I say to my detriment, of course, first time God ever told me to give something to a preacher. It was a set of Matthew Henry, the big green hardbound commentary set. I didn't want to do it. I, I offered resistance against God. Of course, I wound up a few days later after I had spent some nights with very little sleep and losing my appetite. I knew what God wanted of me. I just kind of balked on him. But I'm telling you the liberty that was found when I gave that. What a blessing. Some of y'all have taken interest in little Sam. I got a card from he and his two brothers yesterday. Their Christmas card, Sam Bumgarner. And Sam wrote me a letter. I'd just recently written him back, and he wrote me a letter. And he, he said in the letter, he said, uh, I give him a little something every now and then when I see him out that way. He said, Brother Kevin, he just killed his first deer of the season. He said, Brother Kevin, I wanted to send you some deer meat, but I was afraid it'd thaw out before it got to Mississippi. He meant that. He wanted to be a blessing. Another brother, I was preaching on giving out in Taylorsville back in the first, second week of November. Another brother, Amanda, listened to, the, listened to the video chat. We were going home Wednesday night, and a dear friend of mine, he said, Brother Kevin, and told the situation, he said, God just, God blessed. And I said to him, I said, when it comes to giving and giving of yourself, God opens up different avenues and different blessings for someone's life. 
I think most of you are good givers. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. If your giving is $5 a week and you're in the will of God in that and someone else's is 500 a week and you're in the will of God for that, the 500's not any more than the five and the five's not any more important than the 500. I tell you, God knows how to put it all together and put it in one lump sum and let us accomplish the work of God and get the gospel out and have a small part in that. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing to do that? But giving, what if God called on you to give of yourself? Where would you go? What would you do? What would be your limits? There are no limits for Joseph. Lastly and briefly, Joseph will yield his preferences for Christ's sake. There's a shifting of priorities as you read verses 18 through 25. You know where we start in verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Watch 24 and 25. The angel is spoken to him. Verse 24 and 25 says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. It would be a lot of things. It would be Joseph's responsibility to protect the family, to be the provider of this family. He would teach the Lord Jesus and his half-brothers the trade and that they were to be taught. It was his responsibility to teach him his ancestral heritage. He was to learn of where he's come from as far as Israel and the Israelites are concerned. He would have to teach him the ordinances and the laws and scriptural principles. In teaching him scripture, I wonder, I'll just read it you let your mind go where the Spirit of God might lead it. I wonder as he would read through the 53rd of Isaiah. I wonder what the countenance of Christ must have looked like. It's what he's come to do. It's his purpose. Denise sung of it today. Listen to what Isaiah would write. Writing beyond himself. Who hath, re- who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did... We did, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He hath made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. Now you talking about something to marvel over in Scripture. Listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Father. To bruise the son for your sin and for my sin. 
Get your mind around that this morning. May we be mindful of that this Christmas season. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. There's one other verse in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Can you imagine Joseph's role? How God used him. He had a hand in helping to raise and teach the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we wonder when we look at Joseph, he came from nothing, he had nothing. Why didn't God call Joseph of Arimathea instead of Joseph of Nazareth? Joseph of Arimathea was known throughout the area. He had influence and clout. Simply put, it wasn't God's will for Joseph of Arimathea to raise Christ. It was God's will for Joseph of Nazareth to do what God's called him to do. Do you know what the will of God is for your life? Do you know what it is God has gifted you to do and where he's placed you? What it is that he would have you to be. The ministry he has called you to. The place he's called you to in life. Let's stand. Would you stand with us please?